Good morning and welcome back. We just took a trip along the Colorado through the deserts of Arizona and California following the Colorado River. It was hot down there. Now we're coming back to the mountains of Colorado. This is Tommy Ray and we're in episode 11 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today we'll talk about the most bled county in Colorado. The Colorado Basin Roundtable reports that more than 300,000 acre-feet per year is taken out of Grand County. This is more than three times the amount from any other region in the Colorado Basin. Two entities are exporting water out of Grand County, Denver and Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District. Denver exports about 60,000 acre-feet, and northern, about 240,000 acre-feet. It seems to me that Denver takes the most heat. Why was Grand County raided? A bunch of reasons. Mainly, it's close, and a lot of water originates there. There are three major rivers in Grand County, the Fraser River, Williams Fork River, and, of course, the Colorado River. Both the Fraser and Williams Fork feed into the Colorado, almost in the center of Grand County. Wouldn't the residents of Grand County have resisted these water raids? To answer that, we have to look at timing. And by timing, of course, I mean history. History has always played a critical role in water. Kind of a who-got-there-first concept. And that's one of the things I love about water trying to place myself in the shoes of those who were there when big decisions were being made and how the resources were being used at the time. Decisions on water then, as well as now, depended on water needs, engineering and cost, potential lawsuits, politics, and other factors. That is what is so fascinating about water. All these issues are rolled into one big ball of wax called water. Now, I don't like showering you with history and numbers, but to understand why so much water was and continues to be removed from Grand County, you need to know how we got here. We have to reach back more than 100 years to get a feel of what was happening in Grand County and why Denver eyed its water resources. So what was in Grand County about 1900? Not much. A few hardy ranchers moved into Grand County in the late 1800s. Surely there was a wagon trail over Berthoud Pass. I can only guess that a wagon trip from Denver to what is now Winter Park might have taken a week, and zero amenities once you got there. Grand County was just another magnificent mountainous area with beautiful sparkling streams of water. In 1900, the total resident population of Grand County was a whopping 741 people. It grew to 1,862 in 1910 because of one man, David H. Moffitt. He helped Grand County grow because of his belief that railroads were king 
to continued economic success in Colorado. Why? Who was this guy? David Moffat was born in New York in 1839 and at age 12 started working as a messenger boy in banks. He worked himself up and started moving westward with other banks. He eventually made it to Denver in 1860 when he was 21 and then flourished with the First National Bank of Denver, eventually becoming its president. He became one of Denver's most important financiers and industrialists in the late 19th and early 20th century Colorado. He served as president, treasurer, and as a board member of banks, railroads, and city government posts. Over the years, he had claims to over 100 Colorado mines and nine railroads, but railroads seemed to be his main interest. You may know that the Union Pacific Main Line went through Cheyenne on its way to the West Coast. This left Denver and its agricultural industry behind, and Denver would still be in the dust except then-Territorial Governor Evans and other notables in Denver, including Moffitt, started and built the Denver Pacific Railroad linking Cheyenne to Denver in 1870. This was the start of Moffitt's interest in railroads to make Denver the hub of commerce in the western states. Other lines started by Moffitt and his peers were the Denver and New Orleans, Denver Tramway, Manitou and Pikes Peak Railway, Denver and Rio Grande, a narrow-gauge rail line, Creed Branch, and finally, most importantly to Grand County, was the Denver, Northwestern, and Pacific Railway. David Moffitt was the driving force behind the Denver, Northwestern, and Pacific. Construction on the railroad line from Denver to Grand County began in July 1902. The rail line was pushed over, that's right, over, the top of Rollins Pass across the mountains into Grand County on its way to Salt Lake City. Rollins Pass sits at an elevation of 11,677 feet. It is brutal at this elevation during the winters of Colorado. I can't begin to imagine the hardships the workers went through to complete the rail line over the top of the pass. But it happened. Once over the pass and down the other side of the mountains, the line could follow the Fraser River bed to the Colorado and then head to Salt Lake City. While Grant County was growing a little, Denver was booming. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, Denver was becoming a major trade center, and Denver had grown fast. From 1870 to 1890, the population of Denver soared from about 4,800 to 107,000. It continued to grow with people coming in by rail. By 1910, Denver stood at 213,000. 1930, it was at 288,000. And by 1950, a half million. 
Compare this to Grand County's 1,862 people in 1910, 2,108 in 1930, and almost 4,000 in 1950. During all these years, Denver roughly had a hundred times more people than Grand County. I stop at 1950 because by then, Denver had already raided Grand County for water. Why had Denver grown rapidly? The railroad was here, and there were many successful ditches built in and around Denver. A strong agricultural industry helped propel Denver forward. Crops of all types could be shipped by rail to other parts of the country. Sugar beets were an extremely valuable crop then. Rail was all important. As we have discussed before, agriculture consumes lots of water. Farmers claimed much water out of the Platte. This left Denver scrambling for water rights in the Platte and to try to store water along the Platte to get its citizens through the winter months. Something I have not mentioned before is the seasonal nature of stream flows. It is not consistent with demand for domestic agricultural and industry uses. Nearly two-thirds of the annual water flow occurs during the late spring, early summer runoff. Of course, this is because the weather is warming and the snow is melting fast. During the winter months of December, January, and February, only 3% of annual flows occur. Wow, we got to have storage to get our citizens through the winter months. Of course, Denver recognized this early on and began plans for dams on the Platte upstream of Denver. The first large dam was Cheeseman Reservoir. Cheeseman Dam is a 211-foot-tall masonry dam on the South Platte River. It was completed in 1905 and has been in continual service ever since. By car, it is about 45 miles southwest of Denver. It impounds some 80,000 acre-feet of water. If drought years occurred back-to-back, this reservoir could provide about 25,000 acre-feet of water during each year of the drought. But even with reservoirs, there wasn't enough water in the Platte to serve Denver's growing population. Because the farmers came first, they had established the early water rights, and Denver had to get in line to obtain water from the Platte in order to grow. In the early 1900s, Denver engineers began looking at western slope water to supplement the little water they were getting from the Platte. There was a lot of water, quote, on the other side, and no one was using it. It was simply exiting the state. And believe it or not, the rail line over Rollins Pass was critical to Denver's increased interest in Grand County water. How so? Although the rail line went over the pass, Moffat's plan was to always go through the mountain. And they did. Unfortunately, Moffat died in 1911 and did not get to see the fruits of his labor. 
But the tunnel was finally financed. It took four years to complete and became operational in 1928. It is still used today. The tunnel was 6.2 miles long and about 18 feet wide and 24 feet tall. A pilot bore had been built along its entire length. Denver had been watching all this unfold. The pilot tunnel would be perfect for bringing water through the mountain. Eventually, the pilot tunnel was owned by Denver Water for this purpose. In 1935, construction began on the Moffett Water Tunnel Diversion Project. Denver Water enlarged and partially lined the pilot bore of the famous Moffett Railroad Tunnel to carry water from the West Slope to Denver on the east. Denver had anticipated the need for more water and the time and infrastructure was right. As the crow flies, Grand County is not that far to bring water to Denver. There seemed to be little need for water for the citizens of Grand County during the 1930s. A lot of water had been draining off the mountains and down the valleys on the way to California. That water would not go unnoticed. Of course, Denver had foreseen this and had been busy applying for water rights along the Fraser River. After surviving the great droughts of the 1930s and the Depression, it is easy to see why Denver eyed the headwaters of some of the greatest streams taking water out of the state. Yes, there was alarm among the West Slope people that Denver would be taking, quote, their water. But was it their water? Under the 1922 Colorado River Compact, water that was leaving the state was going to benefit the lower basin states. Why not keep that water in Colorado? Those may have seemed like hard decisions today, but looking back at the populations then and the little need for headwater on the western rivers, remember the ski areas weren't big and didn't need much water then, it made good sense for Denver to take West Slope water. And they did. What about Winter Park? They now need some of that headwaters on the Fraser. Winter Park sits exactly at the headwaters of the Fraser and needs water. But Winter Park didn't exist then. A small town called Hideaway Park was started at the present site of Winter Park in 1928. In 1940, the city of Denver became interested in developing a mountain park system to promote winter sports to tourists and residents coming to Denver. With the railroad, Denver had an easy way to get people back and forth to a winter playground. Denver supported construction and ownership of the ski area. It slowly grew. It slowed during World War II, but then continued to grow. It seems that Denver may have shot itself in the foot. As we know, the area did become a major tourist attraction and the need for water grew. In 1978, Hideaway Park was incorporated and renamed Winter Park. But it was too late for resistance to Denver's water grab. Now Winter Park 
has to negotiate with Denver for water sources. It became and will continue to be a political issue for minds bigger than mine to solve. Denver Water currently diverts water from the Fraser through an extensive network of tunnels and pipes that funnel water to the Moffett Tunnel for delivery and use in the Front Range. One of the pipes comes right down the middle of the Winter Park ski area. When skiing there, you can't miss seeing this pipe. It looks to be either a 36-inch or maybe a 48-inch diameter line. Water funneled through the Moffett Tunnel is dumped into Boulder Creek and stored in Gross Reservoir. It is estimated that over 60% of the native flows of the Fraser River are currently diverted through the Moffett Tunnel on an annual average basis. That water is diverted out of the Fraser Basin above Tabernash. We will later talk about the expansion of Gross Reservoir proposed by Denver. This is another of those costly projects that has come up against environmental pressure. They have been working on permits for the expansion of Gross for over eight years. The proposed Moffett project would triple the size of Gross Reservoir, allowing Denver Water to increase its Grand County diversions. We'll just have to wait and see. In Episode 8, we talked about Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District building the Colorado Big Thompson Project. The CBT Project, Colorado Big Thompson, was conceived in the late 1930s after the horrible Dust Bowl days. It actually wasn't completed until after World War II. At first, 96% of the water went to farmers to, quote, supplement their native East Slope water supplies. But over the years, because it is high-quality mountain water taken directly from the headwaters of the Colorado River, more and more northern Colorado cities have bought up the shares. Originally, 310,000 units or shares were issued. Now only about 40,000 units remain in farmers' hands. Northern Water really is the gorilla in Grand County. They have worked hard to keep Western Slope interests at bay. Although a bigger diverter than Denver, they seem to catch less heat than Denver. Northern Water is taking roughly four times the amount of water that Denver is. I think the resistance to Denver is because there are several upstream towns on the smaller Fraser River, Winter Park, Tabernash, Fraser, and Granby, that need to pull water out of the Fraser River. Northern Water is taking water out of the main stem of the Colorado, and there seems to be more water in the Colorado for use by cities downstream on the Colorado. Releases come from Green Mountain Reservoir to offset some of the demands on the Colorado for downstream users. So Northern Water is diverting about 240,000 acre-feet from Grand County to the Front Range every year. Where is all that water going? We have not discussed yet that 
about one acre foot of water is needed for every two houses. That number varies a little, but is a good round number to use. So the 240,000 acre feet could support 480,000 homes on the east side. And if each home has 2.5 people, that 240,000 acre feet could support roughly 1.2 million residents on the east side. CBT water can only be used in portions of Larimer, Weld, and Boulder County. It can also be used in a narrow band on both sides of the Platte River all the way to the Nebraska line. But most is used in these three counties. In 1950, the population of Larimer, Weld, and Boulder County combined was 159,000. By 2010, latest data available from Colorado Department of Local Affairs, the population of these three counties jumped to 847,000. I'm not sure exactly what these numbers mean, except to imply that it won't be long before all the water brought over by the CBT project will be eaten up by houses and not by farming. Of course, there are other projects Northern is working on to try to increase supplies, but the tsunami of population growth is still coming and there will be very little or no new water coming from Grand County. But mine are only armchair observations. I know many of the water managers and they are nervous. Of course, they are always nervous because the next trout could happen this year. Who knows? I don't ever see any of the water that presently comes to the east slope reverting to the western slope. But both Denver and Northern feel political pressure to build compensatory storage on the western slope. Plus, I think they think it is the right thing to do. We have talked mainly about the Fraser River and some about the headwaters of the Colorado. We haven't talked about the Williams Fark. I'll just say that Denver takes some water out of the Williams Fark drainage, but the most important thing about Williams Fark is the Williams Fark Reservoir, which was built to offset Denver's diversions out of Grand County. Surely it helps downstream towns, but I'm not sure it helps the towns along the Fraser. Anyway, this is a good stopping place. We'll pick up with Williams Fark in later episodes. I am enjoying this water journey. We still have lots to cover. If you are enjoying the journey, ask your friends to listen. You might also buy me a cup of coffee. That sounds silly, but there's a way to do that on our website, nowater.com. That's K-N-O-W hyphen water.com. The more people we can get to talking about water, the better. For now, I'm going to retreat to my favorite stream. See you next time. (laughs) 